underneath the trees We watch the sky Confusing stars The satellites I never dreamed That you'd be mine But here we are We're here tonight Seeing it ain't I'm alive I'm alive Seeing I love that quote, never doubt a small group, what a small group of committed people can do to change our world. And one of the things that uh, amazed me is we had picked that video out uh, a couple months ago, six or seven weeks ago at least, uh, before Mandela passed away even this week. And, and think about the change that he brought to our world. 
question I want to ask you today before we get uh, too much further into this is how? How can love change our world? How is it possible that 12 guys, 12 men, disciples of Jesus, turned their world upside down? 12 men commissioned by him to go into all the world and proclaim the good news, which included the love of God, and yet they changed the world. Even if you're not a Christ follower, even his, you know, secular historians admit that this movement called Christianity radically altered the course of history. And it started with one man, Jesus, who recruited 12 others, who recruited others, who shared the love of God everywhere they went. How did that love change the world? Well, as they loved Jesus, as they loved God, as they loved one another. In fact, the world looked at the love we had for each other as Christ followers, and they said, there must be a God, because there's no way that Roman could love that, that uh, Jew. There's no way that person could love that person. As they saw our love for him, our love for one another, and even our love for our enemies, for those who hated and abused us, the world was changed through the power of love. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Absolutely everything, because it changes everything. In fact, I want to suggest to you today that love is the greatest demonstration of grace that there could ever be. Love is this great demonstration of the goodness and the favor of God. Today, we're going to focus on how to change our world. Now, for some of you sitting here, it's quite possible that you will, in fact, be world changers, that you'll affect not just uh, the local area around here, but that you could, in fact, affect the world around us. Maybe there's a three-year-old in Adventureland right now that some way will grow up and be like a Mandela and will have an effect on our culture and our world that will, be, that will alter the course of history. But what I want you to think about is saying, oh, that's not me, that would never be me. You have a sphere of influence. You have a world that you live in. Uh, a circle of influence that God has given you with the, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. And the question I want to ask you today is, how can God use you to change your world? And in fact, how can he use you to love even the unlovely and perhaps even to love those who have wounded us and hurt us? Because when we love like that, that's when our world has changed. I've got a friend of mine named Scott. And uh, years ago, he was an auto salesman in Glendale, California. And I hope this is not true of all uh, auto uh, salesmen, but the guys that he worked with, most of them were alcoholics, recovering alcoholics, and almost all of them were divorced. And the other thing that was common about these men that he worked with at this auto dealership is that they hated God and they really hated Christians. And so they hated Scott. And they emotionally abused him all the time. They cheated him. They, they broke all sorts of rules. They did anything and everything they could to make Scott's life miserable. And he came to me one day and says, I don't know what to do. And I said, Scott, man, I, I feel for you. It's going to be a horrible environment for you to work in. I'm so sorry. And I said, Scott, here's the only thing I know. Why don't you find a way to go and love those men the way Jesus would? Find a way to love those who hate you. Well, to Scott's credit, he did. And over the course of the next year, two of the guys that he worked with became Christ followers. I know because I met them at our church. Love changes things. Love changes people. Love is the power to change our world. Let's pray. Father, help us today to understand your love better. Some of us have been around this God church thing for so long, we think we've heard it all. And maybe we have. But God, today, would you transform us again by the power of your love. Challenge us again to go and demonstrate your love and the grace of God through our lives to a watching world and to a hurting world. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, in just a little bit, I'm going to ask you some very hard questions.
to kind of get us further into this. Before I do, let me just pause. And, you know, this is the second to the last week in a series we've been in called Epic Grace. Uh, next week I'm going to finish talking about trust, and it's probably the most important message that I've brought to you so far about grace because trust is at the very center of it. If you don't trust God, then you're not going to believe that he's good. You're not going to believe in his grace and his goodness towards us. But I just want to say thank you. I, this is a good opportunity for me to say thank you to uh, you as a, a body, uh, the community of faith here at East Point, that have supported me, have encouraged me, have challenged me to, to get out there and go ahead and, and to share what God's put on my heart. And I want you to understand something about this whole thing. This book, published by Tyndale here back in September, it's not just about me, and it's not just about my ministry. It's the extension of your ministry. It's the extension of what God is doing through a little place in the backside of nowhere called Spokane, you know, or often called Spokane by those who have no idea. God is using you, and he's using us. And I want you, and I want to continue to encourage you, and thank you for those of you that get this. Many of you said, man, we miss you when you were gone, but we, we know that God's using you and using this book. And I want to thank those of you that have encouraged me, been praying for me. You know, I've been gone quite a bit. I'm, I'm home for a while. It's good. But I really want to thank you for being a part of this journey with me. And I also want to encourage you. You know, most of you probably have heard this, you know, that 90% of the proceeds of this book are going back to the kingdom. They're going to, to uh, life services and East Point and to support missions. It's going back to the kingdom. I early on made the decision it wasn't going to be about money for me. So I can, the nice thing about it is I can promote the book without sounding like I'm promoting my pocketbook. And I'm not. But I want to encourage you. Uh, we've given away six, 700 free copies of this book to you, to our church and to those of you that have been guests here. And my encouragement, my challenge, my request, if I could ask this of you, is go out and buy a copy. We gave you one. Go to Hastings, go to Barnes & Noble, go online to Amazon.com, I go to Tyndall Direct right now, and, and uh, buy a copy and give it away to somebody this Christmas. I've heard dozens and dozens and dozens of stories. In fact, a lady grabbed me this morning as she walked out of the room today and said, I read your book, it took me two days. And I said, well, that's pretty quick. She said, but Kurt, it, it, it's changing my life, and in fact, changing my marriage. And I, I can tell you dozens of stories of people that have that kind of encounter because it's all about God's grace. So I want to thank you for being a part of it. I encourage you to go out, buy it, give it away, uh, give the gift of grace to others. Well, we're going to continue today in this message. And I need, like I said, to ask you some hard questions. My intent in doing so is not to make you miserable. These are going to be some very challenging questions for some of you. You'll be uncomfortable. You're going to recollect. You're going to have some, some memories that I'm going to stir up. In doing that, I am not doing it to make you feel bad. I don't want you just to sit there in a pile of drool and, and, and weep and wail. That's not my goal. But I believe for you to really connect with what God wants you to connect with today, that you've got to have this context. You've got to come to this point where you really dial up some memories so that you can frame what God wants you to hear today in a way that will make sense to you. And so here's some tough questions. First one, what was the last time somebody did or said something to you that really hurt you? Yesterday, week ago, months ago, years ago? But the last time somebody did or said something to you that really hurt you? Next question, who's betrayed your trust and wounded you? I don't think there's anything that hurts more than a friend or somebody you love betrays your trust. Can you remember the last time that happened? What was the last time somebody falsely accused you or spread a rumor about you that wasn't true and you couldn't do anything about it? It just went out there and, and it wasn't truth and yet they spread these lies about you nonetheless. Who was a friend in your life once upon a time? 
who turned their back on you, his or her back on you, and they rejected you. Again, the pain of that is incredibly hard. When was the last time somebody seriously let you down and they failed to meet your expectations? A child, a parent, a friend, a boss. You had expectations and maybe reasonable expectations, but they failed to meet them and that hurt and that wounded you. One last question. Are you bleeding yet? Hope you're okay. Who has perhaps hated you, abused you, and mistreated you without cause? And every time you even think about that person, your soul just shakes within you. They've wounded you so deeply that just the thought of their face, the thought of their name just deeply tears your soul apart. Now again, those were hard questions. I hope you've got at least one experience in mind. And here's what I need you to do. Listen carefully. What I want you to do today is walk out of here with a better understanding than you ever have before of this very simple truth. It's not complicated truth, but it's a powerful one. Love covers everything. There are no exceptions. In fact, it's the first thing, if you're taking notes today, I want you to jot down. Those people who hurt you, those experiences that you had, what the Bible teaches, what we need to understand is that love covers everything, and there are no exceptions. If we are to love like our Father God, if we are to love like Jesus, there are no other options for us. As Christ followers, I never, we never have the right to hate somebody. We never have the okay from God to despise anyone because of what they've done to us. As a disciple of Jesus, I never have the option. I never get the option to seek out retribution. Paybacks are never justified. Not if I'm going to follow Jesus. I never get to act out in revenge. Never. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 38. You've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And I think at that moment, most of the Jewish crowd listening to him, knowing where he's referencing in the Old Testament to the, in the Torah, they would say, yeah! In fact, he probably got a few amens. Amen, preach it! Good job, Jesus! That's right! Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Verse 43 said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And again, there's a lot of head nodding. And yep, that's right. We're supposed to love our neighbor, but we get to hate our enemies. And then I think there's this moment, this pause, this pregnant moment of silence. And Jesus then says, but I tell you. I know that's what you've heard, but I tell you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And believe me, when those first people heard these words out of Jesus' mouth, and still to this day, it's powerful and rocks our world. They would have gone, whoa, time out. Why do you, you got to be kidding me. That's not the deal. That's not the way I want to live. But Jesus said, I know that's what was true. But as followers of mine, here's the truth. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus lived and taught a radical new way of living. A radical new way of relating to people and loving those, even those who hate and abuse us. And in fact, he went beyond that. He said, not only love them, but pray for them, bless them, do good for them. The Apostle Paul and if you uh, want to read his story, you'll find a lot of it in the book of Acts. But the Apostle, the Apostle Paul, who certainly had his fair share of enemies, once wrote this, and it's one of the shortest, most powerful verses in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Do everything in love. Now, how many of you think everything means everything? Let me see your hands. You guys are smart. It does. Paul says, do everything. Do everything in love. Let that be the motivation. Let that be the driving force in your life. Love covers everything. Love is the, to drive us into everything we do. 
There are no exceptions. There are no yeah buts. There are no other options for us as Christ followers. You know, one of the things you discover with you've got little kids around you is that early on in life, they discover the, the, the yeah buts. Mommy doesn't want you to do that. Yeah, but. Daddy says, don't go there. Yeah, but. And we get a little bit more sophisticated about it as we grow older and grow up. But we still do the same thing. Boss says, do this. And in our minds, at least, there's a yeah, yeah, but. When you're gone, I'm not going to. So as you turn your back, I'm just, oh, I'm going to blame somebody else. There's no way that's going to get done. God comes to us and says, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to sacrifice here. I want you to do this for that person. And we go, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, but you can't ask me to do that. It's not fair. That doesn't make sense. I don't have it. I can't. We live with yeah, buts. But the Bible says, do everything in love. No other options. It's a radical way that Jesus lived. And it's a radical way that you and I are called to live as well. And Jesus taught this on a regular basis. In fact, near the end of his journey with his disciples on this planet, before the crucifixion in John 13, 34, he said these powerful words. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now Jesus is pouring out his heart to these guys. And he knows that within you know, hours he's going to be crucified and die and that their whole world's going to get rocked and that everything's going to change. He also knows the end result is going to be awfully powerful and that it's going to change this world. But Jesus looks at these guys and he says, here's something I want you to remember. A new command. And by the way, it's not a new suggestion. Jesus said, hey, I've got this idea. If you guys like it, you know, maybe give, give this a try. He's saying, no, here's a command. Here's something I want you to, to live by. A command I've given to you is to love one another. Love one another. But here's the thing. If you'd have left it at that, that would be pretty challenging. But he went on and says, as I have loved you, so love one another. And the disciples knew how Jesus had loved them. Jesus had loved them sacrificially. Jesus had served them. He washed their feet. Jesus loved them unconditionally, even when they didn't deserve his love. In fact, before they ever deserved it, he loved them and they knew that. And as he loves us, Jesus says, I want you to go and love one another. Now, thankfully, he empowers us to do what he calls us to do. That's another issue, another topic for another time. But the good news is he calls us to something and then he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to do it. But it's not a suggestion, it's a command. We're to go and to love others as he has loved us. Now, let me pause for a moment and uh, tell you what that doesn't mean because I've been doing this long enough to know that there are lots of questions in your hearts and minds right now. When I say love one another as Jesus loved us, that doesn't mean that there are no consequences for people's actions against us. If someone, God forbid, murders my wife, they're going to spend the rest of their life in prison for that. But here's the deal. I have to love them even though they've taken my best friend and the person I love more than anyone else on this planet. The Bible says I don't have an option. I must. I have to choose to love them. Now, but does that mean that there's no personal responsibility for the actions? No. It doesn't mean that, they, that we never establish boundaries to protect ourselves and those around us that we love. Love doesn't just mean, well, you know what, whatever, it doesn't matter. No, we still get people, you know, I love you, but this is not something that's okay for you to say or to do. It doesn't mean that there won't be any corrective action taken with the offender. In fact, God who is love, the Bible says God is love. God who is love corrects those whom he loves. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, those whom God loves, he disciplines. 
He corrects us. He molds, shapes, carves. It's a, it's a guidance thing. He, he reaches into our hearts and minds and souls. And he says, I want to change that about you. But why does he do that? Because he's mad or ticked off at us? Not at all. Does he do it just to make our lives miserable? Not at all. Does he do it because he's really just seeking, my, you messed up boobna, so watch what I'm going to do to you? Not at all. God's motivation is his love. Those whom he loves, he disciplines. So there are times when we will bring corrective action. If you're a parent, I hope you bring corrective action to your children from time to time. We do that, and, if, and the motivation should be, again, love. Let everything be done in love. It's not about retribution or payback. It's about love, driven by the love God has for us. So I don't believe the Bible teaches that because love covers everything, that we always do nothing and live as doormats. But what you do need to understand is that whatever we do always must be driven by love. Jesus was betrayed, falsely accused. His enemies uh, spread rumors about him that were untrue. And at the greatest moment of his need, in that Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples, every one of them, ran from Jesus. They abandoned him. He was abused and mistreated, worse than any of us have ever been abused and mistreated. I, I've never met a human that's been crucified, that's gone through literally the pain and the suffering and the agony that Jesus has gone through. And yet, Jesus loved nonetheless. In fact, from the cross, remember, he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He loved. Love covers everything. There are no exceptions. But maybe you're like me and you're thinking, well, okay, fine. How do, how, how do we love like Jesus? How is it possible to love the way he loves? You know, there have been many times I've had this argument with God. Fine, but I'm not Jesus. I'm, I can't love like him because I'm not him. Well, I want to unpack this a little bit for us because I do believe that it is impossible for us to love without God's help, that we need his empowerment, we need his support. But let me tell you a little story. Back many years ago in our church in San Diego, there's a woman named Sylvia there, and she was a wonderful woman of God, loved her. She was very, very sweet. And she came to me for some help. A couple of years prior to uh, this conversation that I had with her this time, uh, her husband had been uh, killed by a drunk driver and left her pretty much penniless. He didn't have insurance. She was a stay-at-home mom. She had never worked out. She had three little, little kids. I think the oldest was seven. So she's got three young children, and her husband's taken from her like that in a, in a horrible, tragic automobile accident with a drunk driver. And she said, I know I need to forgive this guy. I know I need to love him, but I just don't know how. It's impossible for me to do it. And I told her what I'm telling you today. Yep, Sylvia, it is impossible to love like Jesus. It's impossible unless... A couple of things happen. And here's the first thing I told her. First, you gotta love, you gotta love, love and forgive uh, because you understand that love and forgiveness never happens in a vacuum. In fact, the next thing, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Our capacity to love comes as we see and understand how much we are loved. I told Sylvia, Sylvia, I know your story. And I know it is impossible for you to love that man on your own. But it begins, it starts. Love is initiated in our hearts as we understand See and understand how much we have been loved. Our capacity to love, our ability to love comes, it starts right there. It doesn't start with us, it starts with God. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Love that verse. We love God and others because God first loved us. Our capacity, our ability to love doesn't start here inside of me. It starts with him. 
with God who is love. Here's how Paul put it in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. He said, therefore, it's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then verse 14, it's like Paul says, in case I missed anything, let me put this clearly. He says, above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What's Paul saying here? He says, because we are dearly loved. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, it says in verse 12, because we are dearly loved, because of what God has done for us, we love others. When I truly see and understand and remember how much he has done for me and how much he's forgiven me of, then it tends to put my love for others in a proper perspective. You see, once upon a time, Sylvia had been a drug addict. In fact, her late teens and early 20s, and I knew this about her story. She had been messed up and spent most of a, two or three years in a stupor, a drug-induced stupor. And I said, Sylvia, you, you know, thank God it never happened. Thank God you didn't get in an auto accident and kill somebody, but it sure could have happened. And she said, yeah, it really could have. And thank God, again, she never killed anyone. She didn't have that experience that this man had against her husband. But I said, but Sylvia, we love not in a vacuum, but because we've been loved. We love as God has loved us. You and I might not have sinned against others the way they've sinned against us, but we've all sinned plenty, and yet we are loved and forgiven. So how could we not love and forgive others? Love and forgiveness never, listen, it never happens in a vacuum. And the good news is we don't live in one either. We don't live there. We are and have been unconditionally loved by the Father. And seeing that reality empowers us to love others that we've been loved by God. That's the first thing I told him. Here's the second thing I said. And it's the next thing I want you to write down if you've taken notes today. Love and forgiveness begin with a choice, not a feeling. And this is so hard for us to hear. Because we, we are, most of us, driven more often than not by our feelings. But I said love and forgiveness begin with a choice, not a feeling. In other words, you can't wait until you have warm fuzzies for that guy. Because if you do, it's probably, it's, you're never going to love him. Listen to verse 12 again in Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul uses a very important phrase here when he says, clothe yourselves. In fact, he uses it twice, once here and once in Romans 13. Peter uses a similar phrase in 1 Peter 5. And it's another phrase in the Bible that pretty much means the same thing where we find the words put on. Put on the new, put off the old. But he says, we're to clothe ourselves. And simply put, what that means is we make a choice. To clothe implies a choice. Nobody gets clothed by accident. You didn't show up here today fully clothed by accident. In fact, you made a conscious decision. You went, most of you did. You went to your closet and you said, I'm going to wear that shirt with this, you know, these pants and these shoes. And, and I, you made an intentional choice. You selected and then you put on. And that's the very analogy, that's the word that Paul says, that's the phrase Paul uses in this whole issue of loving others and clothing ourselves with humility, kindness, patience. We put it on, we make an intentional choice. Love and forgiveness begin with a choice, not a feeling. There's an intentionality that begins with a decision. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna choose to love this person. Not because I feel all warm and fuzzy, not because I want to, not because it's easy to do, not because suddenly I just have this overwhelming emotional drive to, to forgive and to love. No, we choose to love. 
We're intentional. And Paul says in verse 14, we put all these, above all else, we put on love. We choose to love. First, I must see and understand how much I'm loved. You and I have to see and understand how much we've been loved by the Father. And then in response to that love, we choose to love as we've been loved. And I was over here yesterday afternoon, down here praying, like I usually do when I'm home on Saturdays. I was down here a little earlier yesterday, but as I walked through this room, praying over these chairs, and praying for you, and praying for our time together today, one of the things that just struck me so powerfully again, and I've said this before, but guys, I come back to this because it, it's my heart. I thought, Lord, what would happen if a thousand people who called East Point their home seriously chose to love and forgive the way they've been loved and forgiven? What would happen in the, the, the places we work and our neighborhoods and the places we go to school and the places we shop? What would happen if every day we woke up and we made the decision, I'm going to love as I've been loved? What would change in your life and in my life if tomorrow we woke up and the very first thought we had was, God, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's coming down the pike. I have no idea what experiences or circumstances are going to flood my life today. But this much I do know. I am loved and therefore I will love. I am forgiven, therefore I will forgive. What kind of radical change would that bring to our world, to your world, if we truly walk that out and live that out day in and day, day out? where we made the intentional choice to love as we have been loved. I think it'll rock this city and this county and this state and this world for Jesus when the church truly begins to live in love. Sooner or later, we all offend people. We all make mistakes. Unfortunately, it's part of being human. And so part of why this is important is because I'm gonna fail you and you're gonna fail me. I have failed you, and you have failed me. And if we just get stuck there, then we're going to be pretty miserable. But if we can learn to practice this walk in this grace and love all the time, then it changes us and it changes our world. Quite a few years ago, uh, we had Thanksgiving at our house, and I had all my brothers and my sister and, and their kids over, and my mama was there. And, uh, you know, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Love Thanksgiving time. I love going into food comas. It's really my favorite things to do. And it's just great time. But uh, at that time, uh, we had, I, I really shouldn't say we, my wife had a cat. I don't really like cats if you don't like that about me. You have to love me anyhow, so there. <laughs> but uh, she had a cat, a cat. It was a calico named Allie, and Allie had some kittens. And uh, so, you know, we're getting all things set up, and Allie and the kittens, I don't know, the kids probably brought the cat in and laid the cat and the kittens on the couch. And so Allie's, you see the picture? Allie's in the living room with, the, with her kittens sitting on the couch. And then my brother Kevin shows up. Now, my brother Kevin had a dog. And the dog's name was Cinder. C-I-N-D-E-R. I just called the dog Sin, S-I-N. Because the dog was as ugly as Sin. And I, the dog was a Basset Hound Black Lab mix. Don't even try to figure that out. It's, it'll mess with your head. It's just not right. Long, thick fat body with short little stubby legs, massive lab head with a long basset head. Just the ugliest dog in the world. And by the way, the stupidest dog in the world too. But that's another issue. But so my brother comes in. I open the door. Hey, Kev's good to see you, man. And Cinder comes bolting through because they brought, I guess the dog, you know, gets lonely. And one the, they brought the dog along. And the first thing Cinder did was go to the cat and, and the kittens on the couch. And next thing I know, and I'm sitting behind my brother, we're hugging or whatever, and I hear this battle going on behind me. And I thought, here's what I thought happened. I thought that that sinful, ugly dog attacked my wife's cat and kittens. 
and, and, and they're, the cat and the dog are going at it, and they're all over. And so I run over, and I kicked the dog as hard as I could. I know, it's terrible. But, you know, I had to break this up, and I'm afraid that the, the, the dog's going to eat the cat and eat the kittens. And, and so I kicked the dog, and, ur, 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 and then my brother kicks the cat. <laughs> I'm not kidding. See, Kevin, over my shoulder, he saw the whole thing. And truth is, the cat attacked the dog. Allie was a weird cat. In fact, she'd be out in the yard and a dog would walk through. She would attack dogs out in the yard. Not kidding. So anyhow, I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming, you know what they say about assumptions. I'm assuming that the dog attacks. So I'm kicking the dog. Kevin's kicking the cat. And then we start kicking each other. And we're, we're, and we're, and my mom, because my mom's about four foot, nothing comes running. Stop! She's weeping, wailing, crying. She's terrified because she thinks it's going to be Cain and Abel right here in her living room that one of us is going to die, and we're fighting, and she's in the middle, she's crying, please stop, stop, stop. Well, as it turned out, I really am a recovering idiot, and I am, it was the cat's fault. That's why I hate cats. They always get me in trouble. But I had to apologize to my brother and to, you know, his kids who were crying too, because Uncle Kurt hit the dog. And, and, and I had to apologize to Cinder, that was really hard. <laughs> But here's the point, guys. Listen, everybody messes up. Everybody screws up and hurts people from time to time. We all do. As long as we're in these earth suits, it's going to happen. And so the question is, what do we do? How should we live when that takes place? When your boss does something to you that's totally unfair. When your spouse says something to you that totally rips your heart open. When your kids are just mean or they're spiteful, they don't, they don't appreciate what you've done. What do we do? How do we live in those environments? Well, let me wrap this up. We live as the forgiven. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We love as we have been loved by the Father, unconditionally, sacrificially, with a servant's heart. We choose to be just like Jesus, and by his help and by his spirit within us, and he will empower us when we cry out to him, we stand out as lights in the midst of a very dark world and love the unlovely and love those who've hated us and abused us. And the end result, and this is what makes this so powerful, the end result is love changes everything. It changes lives. It changes us. I believe it can and will change the people that we're loving, and it changes our world. Sylvia, my friend whose husband was killed, she came to me a couple weeks later, and she said, before I send this, would you read it? And it was a letter that she'd written to uh, this man in prison who had robbed her of her best friend, her husband, and of the father of her three children. And I looked for the letter. I tried to find it because I know I've kept it somewhere, but I, I wept. I just sobbed like a crazy man as I'm just reading this letter as she poured out her love, as she poured out her forgiveness, as she chose to release this man, this man from her judgment and to forgive him. Love changes things changes people, changes us. Peter put it this way, and I'll finish with this. It's found in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Peter made plenty of mistakes in his life, failed Jesus, failed as a church leader a couple times. He made his own mistakes. But Peter understood this probably better than anybody on the planet at that time, and this was his admonition to us, above all, above all, 
love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers everything. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I know um, the concept of love is talked about a lot. The idea is still popular in our culture. And yet so many, Lord, live bound by hate. We live in a world filled with it, Lord, with hate and animosity, where people despise ethnic groups, where Republicans despise and hate Democrats and Democrats despise and hate Republicans, where Palestinians hate Jews and Jews hate Palestinians and where Muslims hate Christians. And God, we live in a world that is so filled with hate. And it is my belief, Jesus, I truly believe that we as Christ followers today still have the same opportunity that those first disciples had of yours. That we can make a difference, an eternal difference in the lives of millions. That we can change our world, God, one person at a time as we love the unlovely, as we love those who hate us, as we love those who don't deserve our love, as we love those that are very different from us, as we put on, above all, put on love clothe ourselves with gentleness, kindness, mercy, patience, love. God, help us to be people like that. Lord, help us leave here today ready to do it better tomorrow than we did it yesterday. To love as we've been loved. To forgive as we've been forgiven. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower, but you know it's time. You just, you're ready. You've been looking into this God thing, this church thing, what it means to be a Christ follower. And, and somehow today, you just know when you know her. You realize, man, I need that love. I need that grace. I, I, it's, it's time. And you're ready to make the choice to surrender your life. And it is exactly that. You're surrendering your past, present, and future and exchanging your life for his. And it's a good exchange. It's a great deal. But you're ready today to say, God, I need you. I want you. And I want to follow Jesus from here into eternity. If that's you, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you just to make this prayer yours right now, to own my words. Just make it personal as I pray these words. Father, forgive me. I cannot believe what you've done for me. It's, it's, it goes beyond my comprehension that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die for me. But I believe today. I believe that Jesus is alive and that he's, he's living now, waiting to spend eternity with all those who love him. And so today, I just want to declare, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Father. Thank you for loving me. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me clean. Help me to become the man or woman you want me to be. Because from this point on, from from now into eternity, I'm yours. Thank you for being mine. Now, if that's you, that's your heart, just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's me. The Bible says the moment you say yes to him, you cross that line from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the Bible describes. You cross the line into faith, into relationship as a child now of God. Lord, for those making that decision, that have made this choice today to put on love and to accept the grace and the kindness and forgiveness of God, seal that in their hearts, Lord. Burn it in their souls. Let today everything changes because love changes everything. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.
We'll finish with one last song. I love this song. Make this your declaration. I'll come back and we'll wrap it up. Hey, a couple of things before you guys go today. To begin with, you uh, started your life as a Christ follower today. I want to encourage you to tell somebody. We want to walk with you in this journey. And we're called the community of faith for a reason. And so let somebody know. And by the uh, doors and the tables, there's a white envelope. It says uh, New Believers Pack. And let's get a Bible. Some material gets you started in your walk with Jesus. Please pick one of those up. We've got hundreds of these. And here's the deal, guys. These are the flyers, a Christmas surprise. If you invite them, they might come. If you don't, they probably won't. It's pretty simple math. So get them them out there. Get my wife, my dear wife. She takes 20, 25, puts them with cookies and takes them to all the neighbors. It's a simple thing. So I encourage you to take these, give them away, invite people to come. They're going to go someplace probably, and we're going to have an incredible time here where they're going to hear about the Christmas surprise and the gospel in a powerful way. If you need prayer, our trained prayer team people will be down here. They'd love to pray with you. There's communion on both sides of the room. But here's my prayer for you. Ready for it? Go this week. Love like God loves you and change your world. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.